Hi, and welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, Deputy Editor of Film and TV Craft here at IndieWire. And today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite films of the year, Sound of Metal, with the film's director, Darius Martyr, and the star of the film, Riz Ahmed, who plays Ruben, a drummer who suddenly and unexpectedly goes deaf. Uh, Riz and Darius, I, I recently had a chance to interview Nicola Becker, who was the sound designer in this film, as you guys know. And he said something really interesting, and I, I'm going to I wrote it down. I, I want to read it because I think it might be an interesting place for us to start. This is Nicola here. It's about our body, how we feel sound, and if we can find some connective world in common. It's not processing. It's about how the body receives vibrations from the outside. I tried to recreate this experience. I cannot ignore the historical vocabulary of sound and cinema, which has been created for 100 years. But what is interesting to me is to come back to real life, to come back to the experience of the real world. What is happening when you are deaf? What can you feel? Now, Darius, obviously here Nicola is talking about sound and a, a certain type of, and a different type of subjectivity that the two of you were reaching for through sound in this film. And we'll have time to get into all that nitty gritty. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, big picture, because I think, I think it might be an important place to start here. What in, what was the relationship that you were looking to build between the audience and Riz's character as he's going through these experiences, as he's experiencing the world around him in a completely new way, where did, you know, what was that relationship? What, where were, where was the audience, where were you trying to put the audience in relationship to what Riz was going through? Yeah. And it is connected to what Nikola, I think what Nikola was talking about, which is that, you know, it's interesting Riz and, and um, it all boils down to the same thing, which is, which is veracity and, and the truth of, of when, when, if, when we look upon truth and feel truth, what, what actually happens to us as human beings, because I think we recognize something fundamentally human when that happens. So, you know, a lot of people talk about your eyes, Riz, and what I'm struck with with you and, and Ruben is that you filled Ruben with truth. And that was through a lot of work and building a foundation. That's what I wanted. That's what I was after. I was after a someone who was willing to build this character from the ground up, just as Abraham and I did when we wrote it, but then build it so it was true for you. So that when we hit this set, we could set up uh, a playground of reality, a playground of things that had real consequences, whether it was a real concert with a real audience, which we did in a club uh, without the kind of fakery that is usually found in films or whether it was, you know, a real, you know, deaf community, at least a community of people that were, that were part of the deaf culture. And, and where in order to communicate, you had to do it with ASL, there was no other way to do it. So the degree to which you learned it was the degree to which you were able to communicate. All those things that had real consequences and a sense of actual, um, that, it, that would take striving to, to uh, attain, I think is what makes the journey so tragic. So for instance, the realer the sound is, the realer the music is, the more there is to lose when you lose it. And I think it's what Nicola is talking about. When we hear sound that's, that's um, rooted in something true and real, we all have a collective human memory of our sounds. And so and we, we talked a lot about this in a very geeky way, but a lot of the film is reminding us about our own memory of sound on a very sub, subtle level, 
which is to say, we, we lose it at moments in the film and then we hear it again in almost in a hyper reality. So that the truer we could be to that, the more specific we could be to that specific bird or those cicadas or those insects, even in a three-dimensional landscape because they were filmed with these, I mean, recorded with these multi-directional microphones, they would bring us all back to our collective memories and those things that we've lost. So in other words, the simple takeaway is the truer and more specific it is, the more it resonates as a human experience. You know, and Riz, one thing as rewatching the movie this week that really struck me, um, even before we talk, talk about your character's journey into, into becoming deaf, it seems to me that a brilliant screenwriting breakthrough for this story was was for your character to, to be a drummer and to start off with this very visceral experience of drumming that I have to imagine was 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 key for you to to go on this journey as a character now yeah I mean learning the drums was a was a big part of of um, you know stepping into this role and that was for many reasons one is obviously Ruben is a drummer so um, as you, as Darius said, he wanted to create this. Uh, he, you know, he described it as a as a playground of consequences. Um, you know, I remember the first time we met. He said, "I want it all to be for real." Essentially, you know, when you're playing drums on screen, I want you to be really playing the drums. I love music too much to fake it, and I said, "You know, I love that idea. I'm up for learning it." And and we had the idea that actually it should be similar for American Sign Language that should be able to improvise with the deaf actors on set. Um, and so, yeah, there was that technical aspect of, of needing to learn to play the drums because Ruben's a drummer, but there's also, um, there was also, I guess, the emotional dimension to learning to play the drums in that, you know, drumming is, is a very primal, uh, thing to do. And it's, a, a you know, a primitive form of nonverbal communication and also, um, you know, a, a way of really kind of expressing what's inside in a very visceral way and actually kind of being forced to smash these drums up every day, you know, for many hours, for, for, for many months, um, I think kind of brought Ruben out in ways that, are, um, that I hadn't expected, you know. I think it opened me up physically. It, it turned, forced me to, to become more of a nonverbal communicator and so I think it really informed the performance and also me as a person um, going through that process of, of developing this new, uh, you know, this new skill set, this new way of communicating and connecting to my feelings, expressing my feelings. Because one thing that's come up in, when having the kind of geeky tech talks about this, this film is this idea that one feels sound with the body and that that's something that is that you're looking for. And I think and Darius had just said something to that, that, that the body you know, almost trying to tap into the audience's body of memory. And, and, and just reading the press notes for is one thing. It's like, obviously, there's a learning the drums, but your body is, is, is this conduit. It's this thing that we're going to experience sound through. And it seems as if um, not just learning drums, but your body itself and, and, and getting that ready into a certain shape and, and kind of getting in touch with your body in a different way for this role, no? Yeah, I mean, I guess, the, you know, we do listen with our bodies the best kind of listening the most holistic kind of listening is with our bodies it's not just about processing things in our in our heads and you know thinking about a response it's really absorbing the energy of someone else and holding space for the vibe that they're sending you as well and you know it was interesting filming this we we did some 
you know, I wanted to kind of dip my toe in the water of what it would be like to not be able to even, you know, hear yourself. And so we took some uh, hearing aids and flipped them into a white noise setting and put mm-hmm. them in my ear canal so that for certain scenes, when particularly when Ruben's just experiencing hearing loss and I wanted to experience that as well, um, you know, get a glimpse of it at least, I couldn't hear myself. And at that point, you are forced to listen with your body. You are sensitized in a different way. It does... Um, it does force you to kind of be more physically present. Um, so I guess, yeah, I, I was kind of, you know, put put in that position of, of being, um, of, of trying to listen more with my entire body. And I guess, you know, speaking of American Sign Language as well, I'm thinking about that in the preparation process. That That's also a kind of um, a very physical way of communicating and Jeremy Stone, my sign instructor, would often tell me that there's this trope in the deaf community that hearing people are emotionally repressed because they hide behind words. Whereas when you express yourself in sign, um, you are forced to inhabit what you are saying and connect to it viscerally and physically in a different way. And I myself would find, you know, I'd find myself getting emotional discussing things in American Sign Language that I could very easily pass off with a string of clever words. Um, you know, if I was just speaking in English. And so, you know, I I felt that learning American Sign Language really did open me up emotionally. And in many ways, the deaf community taught me the true meaning of the word communication, you know, connected, embodied communication. Before before we move on from the drumming thing, I'm just, Darius, I'm wondering if you could talk about the very distinct way you wanted to start this movie and why that was important. And I, I imagine also... Um, putting an extra challenge on Riz, a, uh, who's, who's a musician in, in other regards, but just learning drums, you know, to, to, to have that very distinct experience with him playing drums to open this movie. Why, why was that important to ground the audience and how we started this? Well, it was so important. Actually, it turned out to be outrageously important because the truer that, what you don't realize, I was actually just looking at the script uh, because I had to, I hadn't looked at it in a long time, and I was looking at the first line of it as it is now, and it, the first line is "He hears." The first two words is "He hears," and I was realizing, like, you know, we're in Ruben's experience from the first frame. We just don't know it yet, mm-hmm. and there's such a direct correlation with the first image of that fi- of the film and the last image. They're mirrors, and they, the, you know, so the the veracity, the truth of that sound in the beginning of that performance and Ruben's world and what you grasp from just the image that of Riz and as Ruben at that kid in the beginning. And it says everything about, about who he is then. And if you look back on and, and where he's about to go. And so the truer we feel, you know, the, the, that sound which is harsh you know their music which is obviously what it is is intoxicating but it's also you know it hurts a little bit and it's meant to hurt and that pain is um essential because we want to start to connect with the music is a little i always thought about it a little bit like you know lose a cutter you know and that music's supposed to cut a little bit mm-hmm. it's it's reminding us that we're alive yeah. You know, Riz was just talking about that, um, putting things in his ears so he could have the perspective of, of um, you know, what a, a deaf person to some degree experiences. Um, 
you know, when we think about point of view, uh, so often in movie making, we think visuals. We don't think sound. And I, I want to, yeah, I want to come back to what Riz was saying about what he experienced. But I, I'm wondering, it, it seems as if I'm wondering if you could even talk about that, that idea of, of, of working with point of view from sound and also then therefore different types of sound, that type of sound that Riz was just describing experiencing, you know, versus, um, I, I don't know what the word is. I, I would say naturalistic world, but maybe that's, that's an able bodied that's an able bodied thing to say. I don't know. No, but I don't, you know, exactly. That's true. You're, yeah. you're exactly right about that. It's from a hearing perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Um, no, I, I, this concept of, I, I've been calling it POH, you know, mm -hmm. it's point of hearing. And, mm -hmm. and it's very interesting, actually, we, this was such an audacious experiment to tell you the truth. And, you know, a lot of people didn't understand it while I was trying to, to get this film made for many, 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 many years, that there was going to be this character of point of hearing. And part of that, there's a very, what I think is a pretty sophisticated language around that, which is to say, not only is it a commitment to point of hearing, but it's a commitment not to point of view. So, um, and, and to be specific about that, like for instance, in the beginning of the movie, you see Ruben, you're in his world and his world of hearing, and then he's in the airstream and then he looks out the window, but we don't look out the window with him. And the reason we don't from a camera and from an editorial standpoint is that that isn't our point of view. We're actually focused on his auditory point of view. And that's a very committed language, I would say up until the last scene, which is the only scene where we actually have a point of view. Um, and that's because there is an arc toward that sensory experience toward there. It's so much about the codependent relationship we have with hearing itself. Right. So that, that, so the language of perspective, and when I say codependent relationship, I mean, for most people who are hearing people, they say, this is a horror story, right? This is something I can't imagine, but you know, obviously for deaf people, it's not a horror story. It's, it's, it's a way of life. And, um, and then what you, you come to find out is that maybe the horror story is the very thing we're living and was there all along and was there before the hearing was gone. And uh, the monster certainly was. Um, so the, the, the perspective, the auditory perspective, the shifting in and out, it's like an empathy machine because we go inward and we're in a body. That was an audacious experiment. And, and it needed a full commitment. And, um, you know, I'm so happy that some people are feeling that and, because it was intoxicating to imagine that cinematic language. And, and Riz, you, you, you mentioned this, how much when you were shooting, did you need to yourself um, have that auditory experience of, of the, I don't know what the device is that, we, that was in your ears to, to a certain degree, or was that something that's like, you could try it out, understand it, and then and then work without that device. Yeah, it was that. I, I tried it out at the beginning just to understand it, just to kind of really tap into the emotion. You know, I'm never going to capture that. I'm never going to kind of experience fully what it is mm -hmm. um, to go through that, um, uh, you know, on a set. But I can tap into the emotional kind of. Uh, that, that initial feeling of shock and disorientation, which once I could kind of had access I could kind of run with and 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 kind of um you know work without those those uh those hearing aids 
Yeah. Well, it, can, can I just jump in on that just a little bit? It was, I think it was a little more specific than that. The, the, the hearing, um, they were custom made ear things that, that it emitted a, a, like a kind of a, you could, it could have a tinnitus or it could have a white noise, but you use them up until the point where you were in, where you became part of that community. So that they were there when you were in a state of denial, and and that was uh, that was you you really committed to that Riz, which was really impressive. Even so much that between shots, I couldn't communicate with with Riz as a director. You know, we would write things down or or find a way to communicate and staying in that modality, and. And then you did, and then you didn't need them once you were a part of that community. It wasn't about that anymore. But then you needed them again in the third act, because yeah. that, that became a, a another chapter of a certain other kind of denial. Yeah, it's a great point. I guess it's um, the moments in those sections in the film where his deafness is, or at least in his mind, defined by a kind of loss. That's when right. we had this kind of glaring white noise that cut you off from things um, right. but within the deaf community where we were kind of communicating non-verbally both on camera and off camera um, you know with all our deaf actors it became irrelevant it, deafness was no longer about a loss deafness was an identity a culture a community um, you know it presented its own uh, opportunities for connection so it, it wasn't it wasn't about lacking something anymore or being exactly. cut off from something anymore yeah. um so yeah no uh, thanks for reminding me of that I, I i've forgotten how we were kind of yo-yoing between those two ways of experiencing deafness just as ruben does because one because it reads it reads to be honest with riz in those first few scenes um early in the film a disorientation a that that inability to connect that i have to imagine um, was 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 key to kind of like where he went before finding a little bit of a community, a little bit of a form of stillness in in in, in with uh, Joe and all them. Yeah, the chronology of it was such a gift for all of us, and I would imagine for Riz especially. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you know, yeah, it's huge, hugely so. I mean, um, you know, there were a lot of kind of factors and at play in making this film you know we didn't have a tremendous amount of time to film it Darius was adamant that we shot it on film as well which obviously you know creates a certain amount of limitations in terms of how many takes you can do it starts to get very expensive and then also we don't have much time to begin with but in, but those parameters were also kind of set up alongside other conditions that just made it such an immersive and authentic experience you know, the fact that we did shoot chronologically was just so helpful. Um, and so it just meant that we all went on that journey. You know, we all really did. And it, it kind of felt like an immersive filmmaking process in many ways. We were living that, you know, uh, Olivia and I were, were going to band rehearsals and putting this, you know, uh, this performance together for this real gig that we would do in front of a real audience in a real club. Um you know, we we were shooting in order, and so we were kind of living through the journey of this relationship um, together. And I think that's that's part of what really helped us capture some moments that just felt really honest and almost more like an observational documentary at times. Building off that, but building off that, Riz, I'm very curious. Um, um, the man who played Joe uh, is it Paul Racy's. 
he he's he's a conduit to community he becomes a spiritual guide but my sense especially in this idea of shooting chronologically that that he possibly played a a larger role for the film and for you in that same way of 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 becoming part of the community and almost as a spiritual guide now yeah i mean paul is just an incredible human being and and his own biography overlaps incredibly almost unbelievably um with joe's in the film um, Paul is someone who's culturally deaf. He's a child of deaf adults or a coder. And um, his first language is American Sign Language. That is his native tongue. That is his kind of native culture, so to speak. And, um, you know, he is also a war veteran like Joe, a Vietnam War veteran. Um, he's also in, a, in an uh, American Sign Language um, tri- Black Sabbath tribute band. You know, so he 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 kind of has all these traits um, that allowed him to connect to the character of Joe and bring that to life so authentically. And yeah, he was a kind of he was a kind of patriarch for us on set. You know, as um, kind of one of the elder actors on set, and as someone who was working within uh, kind of the deaf community, both with regards to kind of music and musical performance but then also within addiction circles and it um, helped lead kind of recovery groups uh, and AA groups within the deaf community that stuff that he had done in his real life and so he could bring that to bear so again it just kind of added this layer of authenticity and this sense that even though you know it's such a kind of intentionally crafted and shot and sound designed film for us as the actors Darius was really adamant to create an environment where we could immerse ourselves in a kind of reality that we were building together I imagine Darius having having someone like that on set is 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 incredibly valuable not just from an authenticity standpoint but um, and in just that relationship that develops between Joe and Riz and the journey he's been on, I have to imagine that's, I mean, one could imagine a phenomenal actor playing that role and doing a good job of it. But I have to imagine there's something that, that this, that this brings to it and it allows you to work in a certain way. No, it's a, I can't express it strongly enough. I mean, watching Riz and Paul in those very specific scenes. I, I was crying so much. It was embarrassing because there was such a sense of palpable emotion there so much at stake, so much real uh, emotion at stake. And I think the thing to, to note about Paul, you know, I think we've seen in some movies where people find someone who's very close to the character that in their movie, and, and they might not even be such a great actor, but there's so much truth in them that you kind of are, you, you would prefer it to maybe a more polished actor. The thing that's extraordinary about Paul is that he brings all of these overlapping truths to the character of Joe, which is undeniable, whether it be war veteran or all these things and alcoholism, but he is an outrageous actor. And it was as if you had found this, this, you know, Robert Duvall or, or Pacino or De Niro, you know, he's an actor of outrageous talent who no one's seen, even though he's been striving for 30 years in Hollywood. So it had that, it's just important to note that it's like, he's not amazing because he's close to Joe. He's amazing because he's amazing. You know, it's interesting because the arc of this film 
moves one towards in a spiritual direction, but also towards stillness. And it feels as if that also, and that silence, and it seems as if almost, you know, you and I talked right after the premiere in TIFF, which was like, God, like two years ago now. But it was interesting. You had said something to me that stuck with me, which was that you didn't set out to make a spiritual film, but you kind of ended up making one and it ended up kind of relating to some things from your childhood. And and, and there's an element here because things arc and Joe becomes this kind of, uh, towards stillness, towards silence. Riz's performance becomes one of, of, of incredible, the physical transformation and the stillness that he finds at the end of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was raised Buddhist and I don't think that's irrelevant as it turns out. Um, and, you know, I think that so much of that practice is about acceptance and, and, um, and you know, samsara or hell is, the, is about denial. And, um, and that the film ultimately really is about that. And, and I think that, I think it is surprising to me how much um, as during the writing process, and I think it was so important that I wrote it with my brother because he kind of, together we allowed for all of that, you know? Um, and and I, think, I think what is exciting to me is when you can have a visceral, physical feeling of surrender versus an idea of it. That if we feel that in this movie, literally feel it rather than think it, I think that's what's so exciting to me. That, that you know, and that's unique to having a first person experience and a first person perspective, which is a grueling language, but it does have this kind of very rewarding aspect to it. And Riz, I have to say, the performance, one of the things that is amazing about this is the physicality of it on your part, because one feels that addiction kind of freneticness, and then where one, where you end up on that bench at the end, I have to, I mean, uh, kudos to you, but I have to imagine almost in arcing that and thinking about that as an actor, I'm not saying you couldn't have done it, but I have to imagine the chronological nature of this had to have helped you in kind of arcing that physicality of your character now? Yeah, I guess it's the chronology, but the thing is um, when you're arcing a character, it's not something that you kind of self-generate, you know, it's the way your character behaves from one context to another, from one point in the story to another is very much kind of molded by your surroundings the energy of the characters around you at that point in the story, the, the place and the space that you're in. So um, in a way, kind of, you know, shooting in, I think we were in Antwerp, which is we were shooting for Paris, um, shooting there, shooting with Mathieu Almerich, shooting with a new kind of Olivia Cook who'd had a haircut and had a different energy and was singing in French. You know, all these things kind of have their effect. So at any given point, kind of where the character is at, I always think of like characters like uh, a planet, you know, planets don't hold their orbit because of some kind of internal engine. Uh, a planet holds its orbit because of the gravitational pull of the bodies around it. And so really it was kind of down to the the energy and the generosity and what the other actors around me are giving me at any given point that really help set the temperature for what um you know i end up doing as ruben and particularly within the deaf community um 
you know, particularly going to a new lo- location like Antwerp, you know, these things, they, they kind of affect your body and affect, um, you know, the, the way that you kind of carry yourself, um, for sure. And it's interesting, though, too. Sorry about that. It's it just so really interesting to think about, actually, Riz, you know, the amount of intense fear and nervous frenetic energy that we started this thing with because the concert was coming and there was just like this unbelievable pulse to what we were doing that was so much at stake. Can you imagine if, imagine if like we were shooting that last and we had to shoot the end of the scene before that, you know, the ends, you know, it, it would have had been, a different energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, you're right. I don't mean to dismiss the idea that chronology is important. It's absolutely. No, absolutely I love what you were saying about the planets yeah. and the orbits because I witnessed that in you mm-hmm. and I think you're exactly right. But I also remember that, you know, to be able to shoot that last and know that you were walking away from the whole story and walking away from the character and it's over. It is. It's, it's in a way, it's kind of Ruben is saying goodbye to the old Ruben and in a way as an actor it's very helpful because you can set step in and say you know i as riz i'm saying goodbye to ruben you know that's and that's the scene the scene is we're both saying goodbye to ruben and so yeah it's tremendously helpful and actually you know particularly the fact that olivia and i were separated for you know the whole middle chunk of the shoot that you know two weeks or whatever meant that when we came back together, we really were really coming back together. And we, I'd lived this whole other life with this deaf community, you know, up in Massachusetts. And she, you know, things that happened in her life. And it, and it was a kind of like slightly awkward kind of, you know, sniffing each other and saying, hey, hello, you again. Um, and particularly, I think that the particularly helpful, particularly cruel thing that Darius did was start off pretty much right at the start of the shoot with the gig. So it was, it, yeah, it had a lot of that adrenaline, nervous energy in it. But in a way, once we got it out of the way, we could kind of exhale and actually carry the kind of buzz of having pulled that off forwards with us. So it was, it, you know, it's like so much of what Darius did and how he put this film together. It was very audacious. And I think when you set up a high wire act, you know, you force people to focus their minds you know it, time and again there was the option of saying ah you can just you could fake the drumming or yeah you know we'll we'll shoot it like this or yeah you know we'll cast this actor and we'll get more money and we'll get more time and no we'll shoot on digital so we can do twice as many takes but time and again Darius I think just chose the option that would be the high wire act that would focus everyone's minds and I think that that has an effect you know an undeniable effect on people on, on what people bring to the table. Riz, I have to ask you, you know, we were talking earlier about um, the different perspectives and how sound builds different perspectives, which means um, they recorded different types of sound. Um, And um, my understanding is we keep talking about your body. We keep talking about your perspective. My understanding is that your body became a big part of the recording process (laughs) that, that they would, they would do some takes, but then there would be about getting sound through your body to a certain degree on set. Right. Um, it was, it was kind of bizarre and amazing. It was like something from the future. I feel like Nicola Becker is a time traveler or something because what would normally happen on a film set is you finish a scene, sound recordist comes up with their boom and says, let's do a wild track, which means you do all the dialogue again, just for audio in case there was a helicopter flying over at that time or, you know, there was some uh, disturbance on one of the lines. 
Nikola would come up to me with some kind of hexagonal orb that felt like it had been 3D printed in his like steampunk workshop and would place it against my chest and whisper, now blink. And excuse me, okay, so I'll blink and then he'd say, now breathe, inhale, exhale, now hold your breath so I can hear your heartbeat. Now swallow, now lick the inside of your teeth with your tongue. Now swallow again, and, and he, and correct me if I'm wrong, Darius, but a large part of the sound design from the film was built out of that inner subjective experience of Ruben's auditory world, which is very authentic because when sometimes when people le- uh, lose their 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 hearing, um, what they maintain some of is a kind of vibrational hearing, um, an auditory experience that comes through the body and the body's internal processes. So um, it was very much, again, as Darius said, like placing the audience into this first person, highly subjective experience to create sound design from really what it feels like to be inside my body. That should be the selling point of the movie. We haven't really exploited that enough. You know what I mean, Riz? Like want to be yeah. in, inside yep. of yep. Riz Ahmed's body? Inside Riz. Literally. That's the tagline, I thought. Did, you did have a mic in your throat at one point. Is that not true? Is that not true, Riz? That they there was a small mic that went down the throat? Yeah, they have microphones everywhere, man. You don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know. Um, you know, Darius, I, and we got to wrap up, but, you know, that we were talking about, you know, picture following sound in the beginning often there's not religiously but there's like if we're a little bit wider we might hear the hearing world if we're a little bit you know it's more subjective shot we might be more that that internal riz sound and that pattern breaks down a little bit but that's a little bit how we kind of get grounded with it but i'm wondering though as we talk about these different layers of sounds in these different worlds i'm wondering if you could talk about the edit because not only was sound i think dictating camera but i have to imagine that how we how you are choosing to go back and forth and when to enter this immersive kind of riz sound world and when not is that's not something that sound can lay over it's like sound's got to inform the cut too right it was immensely complicated actually and we i actually called like a camp (laughs) before we shot in paris with nicolas and with daniel bouquet to, for us to discuss this relationship before shooting around sound and picture, which is extremely rare to, to be thinking that way. But the reason is, is because of course, like you say, they inform each other. And this was really tricky because you could, if you, you could easily get this wrong, which is to say you, get, you, you, are, you lose a sense of um, naturalism and the uh, beauty by, oh, by geeking out too much on, on how you cut in and out of perspective. And it, it, was a real, it was a really tricky balance. And we made very distinct choices with distinct lenses around what is perspective, what isn't, what is omniscient, what isn't. And we came to some kinds of rules about it early. And then, um, and it was an ongoing and, and really incredibly complex conversation, truly. And I think the film hopefully presents as being simple because uh, that's what I like and I'm drawn to. I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to be thinking about the camera. I don't want you to be thinking necessarily about the sound. I just want you to be in it. But that's what made it so hard because I was very aware of how we were going to be switching in and out. And I knew it had to happen on the cut. 
Um, so I have this amazing editor, Mikkel, and Mikkel is just like shockingly good. He's an extraordinary storyteller, but he also is a very, he's also immensely important to the sound design. Um, so he and I worked on this a lot. Um, and then while we were cutting picture, I would actually travel and work with Nicola with um, my, with an edit, with the whole movie. And I could work on scenes and sound design simultaneously, which is unusual. And it had to happen because finding that balance was tricky. You know, you could really overplay your hand with this car, with this, with this, with this film. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 it, and finding that balance took experimentation and, um, but luckily, but it had to be intentional before we started shooting. It wasn't something you could just do after. Mm -hmm. I have to imagine Riz, uh, it, it, the choices that you made, there is no set rule because obviously you can, after a while, it could become a gimmick if you keep cutting every time to a certain shot where, you know, I have to imagine Riz watching the, the movie finally put together and seeing all these choices and considering how much this is about the immersive experience that your character is going through. It, it must have been interesting to see how that shift of perspective ended up being finally decided on in the, in the cut and what and the sound design, right? Yeah, it was... Um... You know, I think Darius kind of explained to me a little bit on set, like, listen, at this point, we're going to be hearing what you're hearing, um, which is, which is, you know, uh, you know, I was really excited to kind of check it out and, and see how that would all work. But I have to say, I mean, like Darius said, it, it's deceptively simple. You know, when you when you it, it, it doesn't make a fuss over itself. I know what went into making that sound design and mm -hmm. how crazy it was that they created a whole language that i think the sound mix was like half a year they took over this um and yet when you watch it as an audience member you're not there going like wow look at these like zapping lasers and like crazy like dolby bass that's rumbling unnecessarily it, it just feels very naturally and simply like oh that's exactly what you'd be hearing and so there was something just so surprisingly elegant um, not simplistic, but simple and distilled in how they take in all these complex elements and, and created the sound design and just made it feel like something that, yeah, as, as Darius said, like just felt so, so natural um, that, yeah, it's, it's something that I think really enhances the viewing experience. And, 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 and from what I understand, I'm not, I'm not sure much like this has really been attempted before. Um, in sound design, it, it does feel like a slightly groundbreaking thing that that Nicola and, and Darius and team have kind of embarked on. You know, we talk about virtual reality and first person kind of shooters and stuff, and I think this is a kind of a first person cinema that's that's quite exciting. It is. It's interesting when people talk a lot about like they refer to movies or this is an independent film, or they say this is a small film, and I'm like, and sometimes I find myself thinking what is small? Like, what is your definition of small? Because, you know, when I think about Riz, your process, there's nothing small about that. You know, we, we are judging this by like, what, is it a $200 million film versus not? But the fact is, is that, yeah, that this sound design, I don't think there's been, you know, it's as big as it gets, you know, and those, these aspects of this movie are huge, even though the, that it's a personal movie, you know, and I think that's what people are talking about. Well, congratulations to you both. It's a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, and uh, really, I, I, the, 
I, I was telling Riz before um, you came on, Darius. Riz is the first actor who's been on this podcast about uh, craft and process. And I think it really has something to do with the fact that to understand what you guys did here, I think there's something in how it works, all of this stuff, the sound and the picture and the, and the performance and, and the way that you, you created this environment. I, I think it was- uh, Yeah, Riz was a partner in process. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. I didn't know that. Well, it's yeah. nice to talk to you again, Chris. All right, well, take, you, take care. Thank you guys. Much love. See ya. Hey, brother Riz. Bye, Darius. Bye.